Hello and welcome to the Coolest Kids. I am one of your hosts, Terrence Wiggins, joined by your other host. A slightly taller Terrence Wiggins. <laughs> named Brock Wilbur. Brock, how tall are you? 6'7". Yeah, you, that's more than slightly taller. I'm like, every time I go to the doctor, they tell you, you're, you're 5'10 and 3 quarters. I'm just like, that's... Wait, they still tell you the three-quarter thing, like, as yes. they would to a child? Yes. Every time I <laughs> Are they drawing the doctor, your height in on pencil at the doctor's I think, office? I think they do. I think they do it because I, cause I'm just, like, I'm a skosh under 5'11", and they know it bothers me. On dating anyway. sites, you're six foot. You're six foot flat. <laughs> <laughs> you're allowed to anyway, round up. <laughs> we are joined by our guests... Guest, who are you? Hi, uh, my name is uh, Garrett Garrett Martin from from Paste Magazine. Ah, Garrett Ooh. is boss to both of us uh, on yeah. occasion, uh, which yeah. is a fun thing. Not, I, I wouldn't call Garrett, it a boss uh, relationship so much as a friend who helps <laughs> you make a little bit of money. Um, uh, Garrett, Garrett, uh, messaged me last year and he was just like, Hey, do you want to review Sonic Mania? And I almost threw my entire computer out the window because I was just like, is this even a question? Like, <laughs> I feel like Garrett does a very good job of, of finding exactly the right person to cover every thing. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was sitting like the couple weeks before Sonic Mania come out, I was like, I want to review this game, but also like, I, if I don't, I might have to buy it and I might have to have opinions. And then like the week before, I was like, you want to review it? And I was like, did we get a copy for you? I forget. <laughs> like s- snarling and everything. I fucking love that game. And anyway, <laughs> did we get a copy uh, for yes. you or did you have to buy one? I, 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 uh, you got a, you got a copy for me. I got an early copy. Oh, cool. Um, cool. We were professional like, on that one. It was like the week before. It was like the week before the game came out, and like I had to like tell friends in secret, like, "Hey, I'm playing Sonic right now," because I couldn't like keep it inside me. Yeah, <laughs> and also I was under embargo, so I couldn't talk about it. Um, so what? Uh, what do you know? I, I feel like it might. Do you think? I feel like it might not have come favorite. up on the show before uh, that Terrence is the biggest Sonic fan in the world. <laughs> that maybe my <laughs> audience doesn't know that about you. <laughs> Yeah, I have a lot of uh, anime feelings, so, um, but I'm I'm able to mask mask them in public, so people don't know how much of a fucking nerd I am. Do you think um, Sonic would be into uh, emo? Hmm. Oh, probably. I, no, Sonic could be into pop punk. Yeah. Knuckles is into emo. No, wait. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Shadow. Shadow. No, Shadow's into new metal. Ah. Uh. <laughs> Knuckles would be in a rap. Isn't there a goth Tails one? Be... Yeah, that's Shadow. Okay. Uh he would be he would definitely be in a new metal because he carries a gun. Oh. Or he did in that one wow. game. Tails Tails would be in the emo because he like he's like one of the smart kids, but like I don't know, he's also the youngest one. So I feel like he would be the one that would uh be like, Hey, have you guys heard Christy Front Drive? <laughs> Sonic's like, I'm listening to Newfound Glory. <laughs> anyway. I like that no one made a sound for a second because either it was too dead on or it was too weird. <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen, I'm looking at a Sonic figure right now. Uh, it is directly in front of my face. Uh, Garrett, for uh, the audience at home, tell people who you are beyond uh, your capitalism. 
What did you say? Yeah, you kind of you, uh, you kind of oh, blinked said, out there. So. <laughs> uh, oh, sorry. I said, Garrett, please tell people at home who you who you are beyond your capitalism. Like you are not uh, your job <laughs> as as paste editor. You're you're a well-rounded thought, human being. Yeah, I thought you it were talking to Terrence. For a second, so it sounded like you said, "Hey, Garrett, tell us about capitalism." <laughs> Yeah, that's that's what this show is actually about. We just say it's about <laughs> we've emo. Tra- we've trapped you. Uh, so yes, Garrett, please please tell us. About okay, yeah. Um, like I said, my name is Garrett. You can call me Ryan because you're friends. That's what people call me in the real world. It's my middle name. That's, I live in so Atlanta, Georgia. It's a beautiful city. Um, I enjoy the music of pavement, uh, especially when I was in high school, back when they were an act of concern uh when i saw y'all we're going to talk about them on a podcast that is supposed to be about emo i kind of felt the need to weigh in here i know we're not supposed to get into the genre battle but pavement is really not emo in any definition or by any definition but uh but i i do have a lot of um experience with the band so i figured i could probably help y'all out by talking about them on this here uh this here show of yours which i, I probably should listen to at some point oh it's fine uh, I guess I'll start with the salvo. I know that they are not technically an emo band, but it feels like talking about like you you can't talk about punk without the Pixies who aren't the uh, definitively punk. Uh, but like there's it, it, uh, pavement very much feels to me like uh, like Nirvana uh, became what they were because they were trying to be the Pixies through a louder lens. Uh and, and in many ways, pavement feels like the distillation of so many things that I loved and that were great or things that I didn't especially love, like R.E.M., uh, which I'm sure the uh, the Atlanta guy here uh, won't love to hear. Uh, but then distilled through just like total slacker. I don't give a shit ism, uh, which and, and this is the I get to retire the antidote after we say it here. Uh, but there is like a, there is a review from like Pitchfork from way back when of this album that we're talking about today uh, that uh, that they talk about how like the the punk thing about uh, like everyone could, talks about pavement as being slackers and they weren't slackers in that they didn't do things. They're insanely pro- prolific. What made them slackers was that they were like, I don't know. That was the first take. I guess we're done because this album that we're talking about today was basically, uh, which is slanted and enchanted uh, the debut album is recorded in their drummer's garage, and their drummer was a drunk who ran an art studio who could barely drum. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they recorded it and then, like, released it mostly as a joke. Like, it was a funny thing to them, and now it is one of the definitive <laughs> albums in the canon. Uh, and and you can hear it. Like, this they're just the... having fun in what they're doing. I, I was going to say, this is the first time I've listened to this album. Like, I've never listened to Pavement before. Like, I texted Brock while I was listening to it. Like, I've never listened to them before because their name doesn't fit how they sound. Like, to me, at least. Like, Pavement sounds like a metal band or something uh, that I've, I've actively avoided. But listening to this, I was like, oh, this was all done in one take and, like, everyone like it was recorded just like with a couple microphones just like strung up from somewhere like everyone at all at once like no no like listening in like nobody had in ears and to listen to to a recording to drum along to it was just happening and it was there and uh and but also like it it uh i i think the thing that it does that is what made them influential beyond the sonics of it 
uh, is that there's just this purity about uh, the lyrical content in this way that there's some of it that's sort of like this stream of conscious flow, but a lot of it is is well-written songs, at least lyrically. Like, it's the one thing that you can tell that somebody put some fucking work into here. Uh, and, and songs like Here uh, are just fucking heartbreaking tracks. And there is there is a quality about them that I think uh, compares to anything that, like, the, the forefathers of emo of, like, a Mineral or a Fugazi or anyone else in, in the, that sort of canon. This aligns perfectly with that or does not happen without pavement. Um, that's a lot to chew on, guys. Uh, a lot of things <laughs> I want to address. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, the first one, uh, you said something about them releasing it as kind of a joke. I, uh, I don't know if that's entirely accurate. I mean, they, they had put out records before this one. Um, not a full length, but they had put out a variety of EPs and singles and stuff before Slanted and Enchanted. They already had, like, considerable buzz behind them at the time before Slanted and Enchanted came out. Um, memorably, I think it was Spin who made it, like, their lead review as a debut album and gave it, I think, a 10 or something, which at the time was unusual for a uh, debut full length. But uh, when, when it comes to um, the whole slacker thing, I think the band themselves would probably disagree. And, and one thing to chew on here is that so they're trying to do uh, a, a version of the lo-fi aesthetic that was popular at the time. Uh, its popularity uh, was largely driven by economic concerns, bands who couldn't afford to go to studios or didn't have time to do professional recordings. But unlike a lot of those lo-fi bands, they did record in a studio. Um, I, I think it was a 16-track. They don't. They didn't use a home four-track like Sebado or a lot of those other bands would use at the time. And so I think there was a bit more effort put into it than it might sound. Like I don't know if they were trying to sound like it was effortless or lazy. Um, I can understand uh, how it's so sort of um, rudimentary in the way uh, it's, it's recorded that it might sound that way, but it is actually a slightly more hi-fi recording than, than a lot of people today might think. Um, comparative to the, the sphere that they were operating in in 1991-92 when they were recording it. Um, oh, I've also spent most of my time uh, with the album also listening to like the deluxe edition, which was remastered. Mm-hmm. So my version of it is so much cleaner and better than the original. Right. Uh, but yeah, man, I mean, when it comes to... Yeah, it's interesting to hear hear him described as some kind of precursor to emo. Because even though Here is a sad song, lyrically it's so abstract, it's not really... Like, there's not a lot of, of personal information there to hang on to in terms of emotional content. And, when, you know, when I think of emo, I think of pretty, pretty straightforward hard on sleeves lyrics uh, where there's really no mystery about what they're trying to say. Whereas pavement, I mean, from, from the artwork, from the fact that they use nicknames, the fact that they didn't even release any press photos until that first album came out, they were all about mystery. They were all about obfuscation and, and not being straightforward with anything. Huh? I was, I was going to say to me lyrically uh, and like, in some ways, they it sounded like they went on to influence bands like At The Drive-In. Um, yeah, there's no without, At The Drive-In without this. I think that's my easiest line in. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds like, and it sounds kind of, kind of like Cap and Jazz. Like it would, like the, the kind of just, I don't know, loudness of it uh, kind of reminded me of like anything that the Kinsellas did that isn't uh, acoustic. 
Um, yeah, Tim Kinsella definitely got really abstract, especially with Joan of Arc and everything he's done, right. basically since like 1996. So right. I mean, there could yeah, be it, you know some some uh, some influence there. Yeah, that's and like th- like this doesn't sound emo, but there are like I could sort of hear other bands when I listen to this, and I was just like, oh, this is kind of that sound that this band, this other band that I like, was. Um, was going for or was inspired by or something like that but yeah i i wouldn't call this straight up email but it it definitely influenced some of the uh, the weirder side of of what would be email email to come it, the sound of emo to whatever Shut up. <laughs> if, you, if you look at like that era um, like the 90s especially let's say right. mid 90s you look at the the continuum of underground rock music of the time. On one end, you have uh, hardcore, which is you know was still going, even though at that point it was like 15 years old. On the other hand, end you have indie rock, which I would solidly put a- Pavement in that camp, uh, right. along with bands like Archers of Loaf and you know Sonic Youth and stuff like that. In the middle, you kind of have emo, who were sort of bridging those two worlds. Like if Pavement fans could get into emo, probably more likely than they would get into the hardcore being made in the mid 90s. You know. Right. And uh, so, I mean, it's definitely closer uh, to, to, to emo or whatever than it would be to other types of underground music of the day. Like ska, you know? It's yeah, definitely not ska. I hate ska. I never want to talk about it. Um, people keep trying to get me to talk about ska. They're like, I'll talk about ska on your show. And I'm just like, you'll talk about nothing. Um, <laughs> I like this perception for you that everyone is out to get you. To talk about ska. <laughs> Brock, you know what I'm talking about because you'll be like, hey, who wants to be on the show? So I'm like, I'll come and talk about a ska album. And I'm just like, I'm never talking about a ska album. Look, the sophomore Real Big Fish release uh, has some excellent tracks. <laughs> Look, I lived through the late 90s where they put ska in every show that I watched. It was just like, hey, or is it a bunch of kids having fun? What if we threw a ska song in there? Just what if, what if that happened? And I'm just like, I don't need it. Don't need your horns. So Ryan, I guess I'm I'm interested to know what you think of, uh, and and Terrence won't know this. Uh, Pavement then goes from this album to do Wowie Zowie, which is one of my least favorite albums of all time because it just goes in a in in, in a much different direction. Uh, and then they kind of get back into blending the two, and then they start building towards this sort of folk rock thing. What do you think of the overall arc of, of Pavement as a band? I mean, I think it's mostly just Stephen Malkmus becoming more comfortable as a performer, way more talented as a guitarist. And like I said, uh, they had that sense of mystery. I, I think it was just the confidence to grow out of that mystery, to uh, focus you know, more on making better sounding records, to become a more forward-facing band. Uh, I mean, when it comes to... Let's see, Slant and Enchanted, they went from that into Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain, which is the one of Cut Your Hair. And, uh, I mean, that one is obviously a much better sounding record in terms of how it's produced. It's It's uh, got some pretty catchy songs on it. Cut Your Hair did well on the radio, stuff like that. Wowie Zowie felt like, which I love Wowie Zowie. I was one of those pavement fans where I think that's my, maybe their favorite, their best record overall. Uh, okay. It was sort of intentionally trying to recapture, I think, some of the more... Uh, not irreverent, but uh, I don't know, anarchic spirit of the earlier days, maybe? 
Um, I mean, Wowie Zowie is just like this overstuffed beast of an album. It's just under an hour long. It's three sides on the on the record that that they sold back in the day, and it's like so many different styles of music that they 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 put in there. I mean, it all sounds like pavement. It's all just like different variations of indie rock, basically. But I mean, you have like the song that sounds like they're making fun of Nirvana. You have the song that sounds like they're trying to do like a '70s classic rock thing, and um, <laughs> when it comes to like the whole overall uh, realm of what they did as a band, I think Wowie Zowie is probably the single most representative album because it doesn't really have a whole lot of consistency to it in terms of you know the musical styles on there. Um, oh, that makes me like it so much more. <laughs> yeah, and then Bright in the Corner is their next one. I it's probably my least favorite Pavement record. I just I think that one the problem is. The songwriting isn't as good as previous records and as good as Malkmus would later get. Uh, the production is a big problem. Like, that record is so flat. Like, if you listen to it, there, there are no peaks or valleys. Like, nothing ever gets louder or quieter. It's basically just, like, one steady volume the whole way through. Okay. And that was definitely them trying. I mean, it doesn't sound like R.E.M., but they went to North Carolina. They recorded with Mitch Easter, who recorded the earliest R.E.M. stuff. So it was absolutely them thinking, hey, let's work with this guy who did some of our favorite records when we were younger. Um, and then that last record, Terror you, Twilight. You've read, our band could be your, you've read Our Band Could Be Your Life, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Terrence, have you had a chance to read that? No. It's a it's a really cool book. Uh, each chapter is a different uh, band from like the rise of punk, and the chapter about the butthole surfers <laughs> is maybe the best chapter of any book I've ever read. Mostly because it was revealed that they just were fucking obsessed with REM because they came up in the same scene together in Atlanta, uh, mm-hmm. and REM became the biggest band in the world, and the butthole surfers. Uh, didn't shower for months on end. So they would come back to town and just like hang out outside of REM's house and like stalk them at night. So they actually, uh, Butthole Surfers are from Texas and they actually, they moved to outside Athens to kind of stalk REM. Uh, they moved to a town called Winder, which is uh, right outside of Athens. Or maybe it was Somerville. It was, it was like, it's, it's basically Athens, but not technically. And they lived there for close to a year. And uh, in that book, they talk about it. It was basically just to kind of stalk Michael Stipe. Um, because at that point in time, R.E.M., you know, they were seen as being a part of the underground. But they were, I mean, R.E.M. was big from the beginning, basically. I mean, they were on national network what? TV from the first album. They, I mean, they had a top 100 so what hit. Year was, what year was this? Probably 85 when the surfers moved to Athens. Uh, yeah, like when when did this happen? Because like as long as I remember, like REM was always somebody who was on TV. Yeah, like I remember uh, Michael Stipe showing up on Saturday Night Live in a in a mango sketch. Like <laughs> if that if that says anything about how how long ago this was. Yeah, I, I mean, think that it says more about how homeschooled you were and how many <laughs> SNL reruns. <laughs> you sorry, <laughs> sorry, don't. Don't tell anyone about my pop culture obsession. <laughs> you know mango sketches. I don't even know uh, mango sketches. You, you, oh, you man, beautiful I child. Know I know a lot of. I get like every once in a while something. Uh, not to interrupt the story, but every once in a while I'll be at work and uh, I'll my coworkers will bring up something, and like I know way too much about it. Like last week they brought up. Uh, they brought up somehow the topic of the movie nothing but trouble came up <laughs> and i was just like hey i know about that movie 
Let me tell you about it. Yeah, two parts. And then, uh, we were in a thirty-minute conversation about the movie Nothing But Trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, so uh, why did you? What, what did you want to bring up about uh, our band Computer Life, Brock? Oh, it, it was just that chapter about the butthole surfers stalking REM. Oh, right, right, yes, that happened. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so. Tell me, I'm just listening to Ryan talk about uh, talk about pavement, and like I have no like this is not this was not my uh, forte. Like this is not the music that I listened to um, growing up. Like I listened to whatever my brother had. So like my first like real foray into emo was Sunday Day Real Estate's Diary and uh, the Juliana Theory Emotion is Dead stuff like that um anything that he bought i listened to so i'm just very interested in like this other this other world that is like just like the next door over that i somehow missed until 2018 <laughs> um yeah what... tell me tell me about this band talk more about this band oh about pavement he just <laughs> tell me about tell me about steven malkmus okay um <laughs> Yeah, he was the he was the guy that sang most of the songs. I mean, <laughs> he's kind of a kind of a kind of a preppy, but also kind of arty. Um, kind of looks Is like Kyle preppy? McLaughlin. He does. I'm looking at a picture of him right now. Yeah. Uh, I was gonna say, like, like I said, this is the first time I've listened to to this album or even this. Like, I've probably heard the band before. I feel like I have. Like, once I listened to it, I was like, this sounds kind of familiar. Uh, but it very much reminded me of like this is the kind of music they will play in a movie or TV show where a kid wearing a military jacket had to show that they were emotional, so they would play <laughs> like a pavement song over them walking down the street or whatever. Like that's what that's what the '90s felt like to me. <laughs> oh, this is like, absolutely this walking alone music. Like Jordan Catalano probably listened to Pavement, but I don't think they were ever able to actually license any Pavement songs for that show. But they probably tried. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jordan Catalano uh, listened Brian, to all that also, kind of stuff. Anyway, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, Ryan, you play in bands, don't you? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Or, or do you, like, are you just, like, promote bands a lot? No, or, no, I, I, I like play... He's in a band. I play in bands. Oh, okay. Yep. Tell me about your bands. Tell me about your music. Um. Okay, uh, this is weird. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, the one that I've uh, been in since college uh, started in Athens you know, where I went to school, um, just we France well before that, that, that French phrase came to mean anything else, um, mm -hmm. on the international political scene. Uh, we were just a dumb band called just we France. And, uh, we were shamelessly, uh, copying the indie rock bands that we liked, which means pavement, I mean... <laughs> which means archers of loaf, which means Yola Tango. So, and uh, you know, we're at this point we're just friends. We just hang out. We still do stuff when we have time. That's cool. Yeah. My dog's in in the background growling loudly at his toys. So hopefully that doesn't interrupt the uh, podcast I too mean, much. I mean, he I heard some. I heard some barking. My dog just got up and left because I don't. Samson's I a good boy. So sometimes your dogs sound like me laughing in the background. <laughs> so like it, it it just blends seamlessly into the show that we're doing. <laughs> I was I was editing the podcast the other night. And, like, I was looking for, because I had to edit the, like, a couple files together. Uh, and, like, I kept looking for, like, when, when we were doing our count off. And I kept, like, a lot of the count offs had the same 
like second tech like uh sound wave as Brock laughing. <laughs> so it took me a little longer to find it. Um yeah. Brock. Yes. We've never talked about your like you play music. Oh yeah. Like we've like what what did you what did were you like uh inspired by bands like this or did you take another uh very much so my my band in uh high school uh well i my first band in middle school was named 42 uh because i'd read one book and uh knew that i had to make that joke uh, it's about jackie nerd. robinson and then yeah. <laughs> The concept of baseball itself. Uh, and then the next band was called White Noise. Uh, and then I was in a... Uh, is it because it was a bunch of white people making noise? Is it because you read a yes. second book by Don DeLillo? Yes. <laughs> uh, which which that book contains the concept of an airborne toxic event. And really, I could have done better in the choice of name there. Uh, could have beat them to it. Yeah. Um, I was in a bunch of bands. I I I, uh, I started touring a lot when I got to high school. I'd record albums myself in my room, grab a friend to play drums, grab a friend to play bass, and we'd go on tour in the summers back before gas cost too much, but right after MySpace came out. So it was pretty mm. easy to book a United States tour and then do it because you had, uh, for the first time, connectivity to bands that was so easy. And then when they came through your town, you'd set up a show. Uh, so I got to live a very rock and roll dream for a number of years. Um, my my biggest band, which is influenced by this, and I was thinking about it earlier today, was called uh, uh, Villains to the Masses, Heroes to the Holy. That was the band That's, name. That is, a, that is a name. That, that made for some t-shirts. Uh, and we did something like 16 albums in three and a half years. <laughs> uh, so it very much fits into this. Uh, but also we had like a guy who played electric cello and uh, electric guitar and a couple of other instruments. And sometimes he would come in and he's like, I wrote four songs last night. And I'm like, fuck yeah, let's do them. Uh, we didn't, we never did like first recording, was it? But like uh, fifth or sixth, we were goodbye. And then I did like the mixing later. So like we do that. And then we do like an acoustic album at the end of every year of like our favorite songs from the year, or we do a live album. And I was like, okay, so we did like 16 albums in total in, uh, in just a couple of years. And that felt pretty good. So when I look back at, at something like pavement, I'm like, oh yeah, that's maybe where I got the idea. We can just like get the idea of the song out there. And that's more important than really like perfecting the song. Yeah. No, I mean, that was a big part of their appeal at the time, you know, bands like, like them and I keep saying them because they were kind of the big band for me Archers of Loaf Super Chunk they, they felt like normal people you know like if right. if you were a kid that was into cool weird stuff but didn't feel entirely comfortable at like punk shows because you you were you, either you thought that was kind of lame or else you just thought the people there were like kind of mean and surly or whatever like indie rock was like a world where you could just see people like you playing music on stage and making records and be like, oh, wait, so people do do that. People can just get up there and do that. Yeah. Uh, what you were just saying of like puck band seeing, seeming too mean or something like, like a, a lot of music, especially me growing up, like it felt like a lot of the bands were, or at least the scene was a lot of like dressing up, like dressing a certain way 
And then, like, as I got older, I started finding bands, like, more indie rock bands, anything from, like, the Elephant Six Collective or, like, or like uh, Bell and Sebastian and stuff like that, where I was just like, oh, these are just, they kind of just dress like people and <laughs> they just make music. Like, it's not a, it's not a big deal. Like, they're just doing this. Like, it didn't feel like, like, a lot of my friends were in pop punk bands and, uh, like, the whole scene felt... Like unnecessarily, uh, like hostile, in a way that didn't line up with the music they were singing. Right. Uh, and then like I'd go to a house show and it's just far too loud and I'm just like, I'm standing six feet away from like the loudest speaker I've ever heard in my life, and like trying to have a conversation in a kitchen while some guy is just yelling and then the police get called because of a noise complaint and. Like I don't know. Then then I found indie rock, and it was just like, oh, I, there's another thing. <laughs> there's a there's another path I could take. I guess it feels like we should ask you about emo then, because uh, you must have interests in that slice. Who are your bands in that world? It was a very short uh, fixation for me. I liked uh, Mineral a lot. That that they they kind of got me into that uh, mid '90s. I don't know if that's second wave emo. I don't know how you would call that. I, um, I want to say that second wave. I, you know what? Actually, no. I did like Sunny Day Real Estate. They were they were always the biggest of those bands because they were on Sub Pop in like 1994 or something. And yeah. um, that that whole Jeremy Enoch style of singing. I mean, I don't know if you guys have heard Mineral, but like uh, I I think his name is. Jeremy something in Mineral, that dude totally does the Jeremy Enoch singing too. He doesn't just borrow the name, but he also sings just like that guy. But I mean, they were uh, they were less proggy than Sunny Day Real Estate. They're like, yeah, like musically, they kind of just sort of sound like uh, like a kind of a catchy pop band. I mean, uh, you know, they, they kind of don't sound too different from like Super Chunk or something outside of the singing. It's just that the singing, right. the guy is like, you know, basically like cry whining his way through the songs, which doesn't bother me <laughs> and, and with them for some reason. Right. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, through Mineral, like I saw them in Atlanta when I was 18 or 19. It was a weird situation where like the club did not promote it at all. So there were like four people there. Um, Fabulous. And uh, so we wound up just hanging out with the band all night, and uh, they were talking about some of the other bands they were label mates with at the time on Crank. So I kind of just ordered a bunch of Crank stuff, and through there, you know, I got into, like, Christy Front Drive and, and Boy's Life very briefly. I, I mean, it was all told probably less than a year where I was before I kind of just got sort of bored with, with that, that type of emo and kind of mm-hmm. fell out of f- fell out of it. Um like Promise Ring, they were always popular among my friends, and and they cross over into indie rock too because they were just sort of straight up catchy pop music that wasn't quite pop right. punk. But I, I don't know, I never got into Promise Ring. I thought they were kind of boring. Um, I like. I've jo- only ever listened to one Promise Ring album, and I really like it. But I've never like I. It's always uh, always kind of been like that for me, where I, I'll find one album and I'll listen to it a bunch, and then. I'm just like, mm, I don't know if I want to listen to this other one because what if it's not like the thing that I already like? Yeah. <laughs> and now with Spotify and YouTube and stuff, it's so easy to, to, to at least see right. if you like it. Back then, you'd have to pay for the whole thing. Right. Um. But yeah, Promise Ring, they were big. 97, 98, they might have been the biggest band that people would consider emo at the time. Yeah. Um, 
you know you know what band was kind of getting big when they would play on a uh they would play on an MTV show but it wasn't like it wasn't like uh they were on the show it was like they were background music for something like uh, all of like Daria Dar- <laughs> like Daria or even like Clone High uh I remember this is going to go back to me talking about being homeschooled but I was watching like I love it was like I love the '90s or something like that. It, I don't even remember. But they played like a at the drive-in song behind it, and I was just like, "That's at the drive-in, like on." But it wasn't even like about music or anything. They were just like playing an at the drive-in song behind like people talking, and I was just like, "That's a weird thing to do." And I was like 12 at the time. And I was like, "That's why? Why this song?" Because <laughs> the people that work at MTV had much better taste than the people who programmed it. Right. So they'd yes. work in the bands they actually like into the background of shows like that. I mean, the state had great music. Uh, you won't know it now because all the the DVDs and Netflix releases of the state, they cut pretty much all the actual music out. Same as Daria and most other Yeah. Bands. Yeah. And Clone High was never released uh, <laughs> outside of Canada on one DVD. So That's weird. I have I'm that DVD. Sure uh, you, are you kidding me? Yes. I, I have it. It's here. I'm gonna come to we, well, at one point, somebody borrowed it from me in L.A., and uh, I couldn't remember who, and it's the only time I've ever taken to Facebook to be like, look, you you motherfuckers, whoever has it <laughs> has to return it tonight. And like my friend was like, oh, I, I, I borrowed it at that party, and, and we were all drunk, and I was like, it comes home now. Like, it's, it's one of my <laughs> only precious things. Uh, yeah, I, I remember uh, there was an episode where uh abe lincoln and uh john f kennedy were in a drag race and they played understanding the car crash by thursday <laughs> and that was like that was like my one of my moments of just like hey that's a thing i know <laughs> it's in a tv show i got, I got very excited like i mean because none of none of my friends like listened to the same music that i did like i i got all my music from my brother uh, and like none none of my friends either didn't listen to music really, uh, or just didn't listen to the same thing I did. Like, I had one friend who also listened to Weezer, but that was about it. But like every other person I knew, they were like, "We're gonna listen to." I was in church. I was a church kid, so they were just like, "We're gonna listen to to Five Iron Frenzy and Reliant K." I couldn't remember the name. I was trying to think of it. And I had to hear Reliant Kenny's Sadie Hawkins dance about a thousand times because that's what church kids listen to. You know what? Bringing up Weezer, I, I think that first Weezer album was a very clear attempt of a major label band trying to do a major label version of Pavement. Yeah, I, there like, we are. This, there we are. <laughs> yeah, I was. I even thought about that when I was uh, when I was listening to it. I was just like, this kind of has a uh, like sounds like something Weezer tried to do or or like Weezer was just like hey we're gonna do this and it's gonna it's not gonna sound like this like yeah. it's my, not like it's been in a studio I guess my favorite like blue album review ever was uh was somebody who was like hey uh Weezer uh is uh thinks that they're nerds pretending to be uh Van Halen it's Van Halen pretending to be nerds uh, and and over the course of their career, it's become more and more that as we as you hit like Playboy Mansion and stuff is like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, Rivers Cuomo was in some kind of hair metal band before Weezer. I don't know if they were successful. I think they were on a they had a label deal, but didn't really put much out or something. I don't know. 
But I mean, I, like, it I, was. You brought up a thing that I also miss, which was a very 90s thing. Is like, I don't know. We just have, like, a label deal. Will we ever record an album? Who knows? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, that, that's not a thing that bands do anymore. <laughs> nope. And I, I think that's a really, like, something about Pavement. Um, so, Malkmus has been on the same record label since 1991. He's only worked with two record labels his entire career. I don't know if this has changed, but back in the day, it was well known that he never even signed a contract with them. It was always just, like, a handshake thing. And, uh, like, Pavement, they could have been easily on a major label. I mean, every label wanted them back in 92, 93, 94. And they never had any interest in that. They they were at a level where they were making money and able to do what they wanted to do. And it wasn't like the business side wasn't a hassle on any level for them, really. And so they just stayed there. And uh, I think that definitely helped their career because if they had signed to some major label in 1994 and put out, you know, a record that where the expectations were so high that they couldn't possibly meet them, they could have been one of those bands that, you know, broke up after three albums and, you know, didn't do much afterward. But instead, the guy's been able to have a 30-year career at this point. I mean, even uh, Scott Canberg, the other songwriter at the beginning of the band, um, early days of Pavement, Scott Canberg wrote and sang a handful of songs too. Usually would have one or two songs per album throughout the history of the band. I mean, he, he had following follow-up bands to Pavement that were on Matador, the same label, for a while as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, they definitely got a lot of mileage out of Pavement that I don't think they would have if they had signed to DGC in 1993. Right. Yeah, I'm looking at I'm I'm just scrolling through Wikipedia of just like his whole discography and he's just like it's just a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> he's had his current band twice as long as Pavement really existed. Huh. I mean, th- he's been playing the, with the Jigs coming through soon uh, to to KC and I was like, "Do I want to see him with them and and that did like lead me back to like oh yeah like pavement was a couple of years and he's just been doing this thing way longer <laughs> and pavement were not always good live they were very hit or miss live whereas like the folks in the jicks i mean they're they're all they're much better musicians than the other guys in pavement so <laughs> i mean it's it's more of a pro show if you see him today but uh and i think he plays pavement songs now i, I feel like for a few years he didn't but i'm pretty sure for like the last decade or so he's been Playing some pavement songs amid the uh, among the solo stuff, so. Um, I, oh, I forgot what I was gonna say, but then I just remembered. <laughs> uh, it, it it reminds me of when people talk about the Beatles, and they're just like, "Oh, the Beatles must have had like a had like a twenty year career," and it's just like, "No, they were around for like three years and released like eighteen albums or whatever it was." Yeah. Uh, you don't really realize that bands kind of like some bands just release a lot of stuff and not that long of a time uh and it's it's kind of it's kind of weird like i don't know one of my favorite bands growing up uh brand new like they release an album like once every five years or something like that <laughs> uh so like being able to like it would be it would be one of those things where i would check a message like i didn't like check music message boards but i would like if there was a band that i really liked and I hadn't heard anything for them, I would, like, go to a message board, not to talk to people, God forbid, um, but I would just, like, where's the album? <laughs> yeah, whenever, I, I don't, 
I don't want to talk to music fans who go on message boards. That's a whole. I don't. I don't want to talk to anybody who goes on a message board. I, I'm I'm pretty sure the first uh, the first listserv I ever joined was the Pavement one when I was mm. probably a freshman in college when I first got internet access. Uh, but um, I mean yeah, back then I mean they put out five albums. They put out uh, another album's worth of. EPs and another album's worth of like random B-sides and stuff. I mean, they all the music they released from 1989 to 1999, it's probably, I don't know, like eight or nine albums worth of material. So yeah. they put out a lot of stuff in a decade. Yeah, that is... Uh, I don't know. It's, that, that also reminds me of another band that I absolutely like. I can't stand. But like, when I found out somebody mentioned Kiss uh, and like how many albums Kiss has, and it's just like they 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 have like 15 albums like from the 80s and it's just like how what do you how what do you what were they doing like <laughs> all their music sounds exactly the same how did they get all of <sighs> and that's also like a, a hallmark no, of kind no, of man. the the world that pavement sort of grew out of you know i mean like in the 80s yeah. underground bands like the minutemen and Husker do they would just crank out music at like an insane clip um yeah. i mean the fall one of their biggest influences and, and maybe the best band that's ever existed i mean they put out an album a year for basically 30 years right not 30 40 i'm sorry that's not, my that's, decade that's was that's off 40 years <laughs> that sounds crazy to me like i don't know i can't write a i can't write an article a month like i can imagine <laughs> Yeah. I got to do podcasts. Garrett, where can people find you online? You kind of shorted out there again, but I'm going to guess you asked where they can find me in in Georgia. Like they want to come hang out with me. Like what my, <laughs> what? Where, where my bar, my local bar is. Is that what you were asking? What? Where online are you? Do you do stuff? What is what is your online presence? I, I, I uh, I'm an editor at Pace Magazine um, and I'm on Twitter at gr martin and uh uh hell i'll do it you can go to justwefrance.bandcamp.com or or look us up on spotify or itunes or whatever (laughs) you're into um a lot of records on there Uh, maybe about a quarter of the total number of records is good um yeah so that's where you can find uh find me Good, good records don't matter so long as friendship is there. <laughs> exactly. I'm gonna put that on a shirt. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. That's what that's that's what a, a band should be. If you're in a band, it should be because you're friends. It should be about hanging out. Yeah. It should be about having fun. It shouldn't be about you know pressure to you know be successful or or have people come to your show. I mean, if 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 you have friends, you're gonna have people come to your show. You know, unless you're terrible. Right. But right. I don't know. But uh, yeah, bands are about being friends, and that's what Just uh, We France is all about. People used to think sometimes that. When we said "just we France," which is a stupid name, people would think we were saying "just be friends" or <laughs> "or just we friends," and those are uh, uh, maybe better names than "just we France." I mean, it could be an album title. <laughs> yeah, we we had a just second be, band. Just we France. We had a "just, just be friends. friends" band that was uh, it was like a singing cowboy band, and it was <laughs> god awful. And we don't do that anymore because <laughs> we learned our lessons. 
Brock, where are you on the internet? At Brock Wilbur in most where places, and I also where write are you? at Paste. Where are you in real life? Three, nine, five. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to find you. Uh, you can find me on the Twitter, on the Twitter, on the internet and the Twitter at the Black Nerd. Uh, and I've got another podcast called Whatever We Call It, which you can find on the internet if you just type in Whatever We Call It, I believe. Might not put podcasts after that. I don't know how popular my <laughs> podcast is. I don't, I don't check the, the, yeah, if you check, if you type in Whatever We Call It, you'll find it. You're, you're all good. Um, and I've got some stuff on paste. You should go read my, uh, my David Cage piece. Oh because yeah. If you type in David Cage, it's like, it's like the fifth, uh, result. If it's you, timely. If you just type David Cage into, uh. <laughs> when is, uh, when is this going to go up? Google. Uh, uh, that, that David Cage piece went up last year. No, no. What, what, what day is this podcast going to go up? Cause that determines. Oh, uh, what day? Yeah. That is, oh, uh, when is this podcast? Uh, next, next week. So after the 24th? Next? Not next week. Uh, June something. Oh, God, yeah. Okay, I can talk about it then. I, I'm, I'm playing Detroit right now. Oh. When you're are, are you having fun? Talking about David Cage. Um, You know what? I'm not too far into it. I have hated every game of his I've ever played before. Mm-hmm. This one might be slightly better so far. I don't know. I was watching I was watching the Kotaka video for it, and uh, and I was just like, man, this looks a lot better than like any of his other stuff. But also like the part where uh, where her, like the detective walks in and she was like, oh, you're one of them, yeah. <laughs> like being very blatant. And like there's like and there's like a bleeding human, like black man, like cop on the floor. And like he's standing over the uh, standing and like there's a, a robot who shot him. And I was like, they don't treat us right. And I'm just like, metaphor. Like, yeah. it's just like this whole the, the uh, still just very badly. The written. only black android I've met so far is the first one to say something like, uh, but they treat us like slaves or something. <laughs> it's it's terrible. Like, <laughs> God. And like what it makes me it makes me madder than any of his other games because like it looks so interesting. Like the actual like set like gameplay and stuff looks like something I would want to play, but oh, like, the trailers keep playing in, in 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 every ad break, and I'm like, "Fuck, I want to play that game. I can't yeah. right. play that game." <laughs> like it looks cool, but like like every every time somebody talks, I'm just like, "God, I'm gonna die." Can like, can yeah. we write a review of the game without playing the game? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, you could probably guess what it's like just by if you're familiar with his stuff and watch the that video, sure. But I don't know, man. It's a uh, yeah. I gotta play more of it, but it's that guy, man. I don't know why. I, <laughs> I feel like guy. his games don't even sell that well, so I don't know why. We should probably cut this part out. They co- they have to cost so much money. <laughs> yeah, I like, know it's insane. An obscene amount of money. He actually H-H-1. has a he has a name cast this time at least. Like Heavy Rain, you know, it was like all those weird French actors doing really bad American accents. At least yeah. this time he's got uh, you know Clancy Brown and Lance Henriksen and. Like right. a a very nerd friendly, I think intentionally so cast. Right. But uh, I don't know. Like, uh, 
Heavy Rain was just miserable with just people with thick French accents trying to do uh, trying to do American accents. So there'd be a little kid who'd be like, "Dad, I am not tired. Yeah, <laughs> oh give me a God. snack, Daddy." That that is the just uh, like, good lord. The most incompetent game I think I've reviewed as a professional game <laughs> critic. I mean, it's I think it's still the worst score I've ever given something, and it's it, it's just atrocious, offensively bad game. So. <laughs> Ryan, what is the worst score you hand out? You seem so nice. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was with the Boston Herald. I think it was an F. So they had a, a letter Ooh. grade scale. But again, this is uh, I'm glad totally that you did not it in like an related, actual so. newspaper. <laughs> yeah, it was. You, it was print, man. Uh, I, I'd, I'd get my copy, pick it up for free on the the the, the, the seat of the subway every morning because I didn't. I wasn't about to pay a dollar for that rag, but. Um, <laughs> We should probably cut all the Detroit stuff out of the podcast. What do you guys think? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's, it's going to go up after the game releases, so... It ain't pavement related. It'll be fine. It's fine. Okay. It's Yeah, it's... I mean, the game comes out in four days, yeah. and uh, we're releasing this two weeks after this, so... <laughs> right. That's why I was asking, because I'm not allowed to say anything. Like, talk. The, the embargo right. for acknowledging that I have a copy has passed, which is ridiculous that there's an embargo for that, but... I'm right. not allowed to say anything specific anywhere until Thursday. So yeah, yeah. So you're fine. Yeah, you have to not come out for two weeks. We yeah, will we see you shit. Thursday. <laughs> yeah, we can talk shit as. Also, much I as invite we want. both of you to please call me out online if uh, I do any sort of tweet that reveals that I actually just uh, broke down and bought it. <laughs> <laughs> you just I, bought I, a tray I, right I now. Genuinely, have had that thought for a month that Terrence. I was going to say like. Please just drag me mercilessly if oh, I, I just will. give in. <laughs> Don't worry, I I have no I, just, I have no sort of qualms about this. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, I guess we'll end the show now after yelling about David Cage, which could be another could be another hour. We podcast. should end every uh, show that way. <laughs> yelling about David Cage. Yeah, I hate him so much. Uh, anyway, uh, Garrett, thank Garrett, Ryan, Ryan is what, cause I'm so used to calling you Garrett. Yeah, that's Mr. fine. Mr. Martin. That's good. Uh, <laughs> Ryan, thank you so much for coming in basically at last minute, uh, to talk about pavement. I enjoyed hearing about this band that I know nothing about. And I enjoyed hearing you and Brock talk about your bands in the past, uh, Brock, you got anything else? No, no, no. Thank you guys so much for listening. I've got nothing else, so... And uh, also, one last thing. (laughs) Shit. Did I ruin something by talking? No. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's been a a lot of fun. Uh, I haven't done a podcast in a while. It's it's good. Thanks. Yeah, it it was a lot of fun. So, with that said... Now we'll do the sign-off phrase, which is, we are the coolest kids, and we take what we can get. Bye.